You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And, you know, part of my favorite things about hosting the show, about hosting any podcast, is the people you meet. And I love meeting people, especially men, that are willing to share from the heart what they've gone through and how they use what they've gone through to serve others. Um, that's what I think the world needs more of. That's what I think men are really created to do. And uh, today is one of those examples. So I'm really excited for a guest today, our attorney and coach, Stephen Sonato. He is going to share his journey through trauma, uh, addiction, into freedom, which makes me want to put on my Braveheart war paint. And, uh, freedom! <laughs> so, so welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you very much. So excited to be here. I'm honored. Thank you for having me. Cool. And um, whenever I have a potential guest, we always chat a little bit just for a few minutes beforehand, make sure it's a fit. What do we want to talk about? And you had said something that really struck me and, um, you know, it might be, we can't, maybe we can't get there right now. But anyway, I want to share like what, what struck me because a lot of people will go through something and have you heard the, the story of like, you know, there's a gift in your shit and, you know, every trouble brings a present and, you know, I'm like, oh, when, when I'm in my shit, I hate that freaking phrase. But, but you know, for me, it was always a sign of like, oh, I am growing. Like, I've, I did learn something. And wow, I realized there was something good in all that pain that I felt. Hmm. And, and you said that the, there, was the, there was a coolest part about trauma. And I just never heard anyone like, oh, the cool, oh wow, the coolest part about trauma. Like, wow. So do, do you remember saying that? I do remember saying that. It was almost automatic for me. And you plucked it out. And I was yeah. like, oh, actually, yeah, that, I like those words. Those really resonate. Oh, because yeah, I wondered if that was something, you know, a turn of phrase that you use often and, and was conscious or not. But so, so what's the coolest part about trauma? So I think you alluded to it. The coolest part about trauma is using that experience to serve and help others. And it gives us, especially for me as a coach, and I'm sure you can relate to as a coach, it gives us experience with which we can empathize on a really deep personal level with our clients we can really feel what they're going through and being able to empathize at that level can create such a safe and powerful space for someone to grow through whatever they're going through. They can find this, the, uh, the gift and their shit a little bit easier. Cool. So, and I, I, I want to be careful of how I say this because I don't know your trauma. I don't know if you've gone through it. I don't want to say it lightly. So mm, let's dig into it. Right. So, so what was your experience? So you had issues with, with alcohol and drug addiction? Yes. And, so, and how, like how old were you when that started? What age are we talking? Really young. So my family, I would say alcoholism addiction weaves throughout my family on both ends, both sides. And it was, it was the normal, you know, it was just the environment I grew up in and if you drank, you were normal. If you didn't, you weren't normal. It was like, oh my God, that person's weird. They don't drink. Hmm. And I absorbed those beliefs and perceptions. And, and so when I began high school, it was off to the races. My, fr 
friends and I, we started partying every weekend and that was it every single weekend. If you missed a weekend, like what's, what's up with you, man? Like, are you, are you feeling okay? <laughs> and it was, I was fun for a while until it became my solution to my problem. I went through a breakup with my, my high school sweetheart and I felt emotions that I had never felt before. And as a guy, you know, with the masculine mindset on, I was just like too afraid to share what I was actually feeling with anyone. So I immediately went into my parents' liquor cabinet and pulled out the bottle of Absolute, poured it into the biggest cup I could find in the kitchen, dashed a little orange juice to make it manageable and just chugged it as fast as I possibly could. And it worked. It numbed those emotions. And that's when it, that was a turning point for me because in my mind, it's like, boom, okay, I got a solution to problems, to the ne negative emotions. Anytime I don't want to feel a certain way, I'll just do this. And it progressed. And then I discovered drugs in college and my self-destructive solution to life's problems grew stronger. And by the time I had graduated college, I was, I wasn't sober many minutes of the day. Mm. Wow. So this was a, a, a conscious choice. You, you knew like, oh, I am numbing these feelings. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I, I am feeling a way I do not want to feel like, get it off me. How can yeah. I get this off me as fast as possible? Yeah. So, so until then, uh, partying with friends, it, it did just seem light and fun. There, you weren't... Uh, and you, you weren't consciously hiding out from anything at that point? No, not, not consciously, mm. at least. Maybe, maybe on an unconscious level I was, mm. but not consciously. Mm. And so once that started, high school went through college. So you just, did you, was there anyone that you shared your pain with or, or why you drank or used so much? Nope. I suffered in silence, mm. Mm. which I feel like a lot of men do. Yeah. And why do you and think women. that is? Our ego. Our ego. And I know I read a statistic that we spend 75% of our time focused on avoiding emotional pain. And so perhaps there's a perceived pain associated with sharing what's really going on, how we're really feeling. So I haven't heard that step, but so, so why, what, like what, why, and, and I don't know if it's, if that stat was humans or just men, but yeah, what, what, what's the fear of, about the emotional pain? I wanted to create this perception of myself as like perfect and tough and like, oh, I don't need her. I don't need yeah. this person, that person. I'm tough. I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. I can handle it anything and so to share in a way that would be incongruent with that perception i was hoping to create would be like oh no i can't do that mm -hmm. they might see me as weak and then that might trigger some sort of shame or humiliation or embarrassment and to me that was that was painful that's where mm -hmm. the same pain was perceived mm -hmm. so the almost the, the the painful feeling you have in the moment that you numb yourself for is to prevent a possible even more painful feeling about someone discovering 
there's a crack in your mask and you're not yeah. as perfect and strong as you're showing. Yeah. 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 Wow. I never thought about it like that. So what happened that showed you your solution was not the solution that, that it, that it wasn't working. So it, it works until it just doesn't work anymore. And then I found myself in a really dark place, isolated, depressed, anxious, anxiety, didn't really care if I woke up. I would, there were nights I would take so many pills and whatever and, and acknowledge like, okay, I might not, I really might not wake up from this and I don't really care. And so I went through this really hellish time till about 2011. I had like a God moment where I was at my drug dealer's house surrounded by a bunch of others and we're waiting for this big pickup to come through. And anyone who knows a bit about opiates knows that you can't really stop once you're on it. Otherwise you get really sick. So there was this risk that the shipment might not come in and everyone's freaking out. And in that moment, I kind of saw myself from a higher consciousness and like looked at myself in such surprise and disgust, like, this isn't you. And I just heard like, that's not you. This isn't who you're supposed to be. Get out of there. And I just kind of like came back to the present and I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm out. Give me my money back. I'm leaving. Don't call me anymore. And I actually got my money back. He did call me. (laughs) 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 But I didn't answer. And I ended up going through a, a grueling withdrawal for about a month. Just torturous. And even though I had stopped using drugs then, I I had not stopped drinking. I I actually did not consider I had a drinking problem, even after everything, even after being in a car accident on the parkway and flying through the window, nearly dying, after going through hell, after being ready to check out for good, I still did not consider I had a drinking problem. So I kept going and kept going and kept going. And there's this saying in um, recovery that, I had, I had a God-sized void inside me, and there was only one thing big enough to fill it, and that was God and, and the God of my understanding. And so eventually, I, I hit rock bottom for, through drinking, and that also came about seven months later in the form of a car accident. I blacked out and crashed my car straight into a tree, remember sirens, remember punching the gas, and remember being arrested. And my father picked me up from the police station. And the next morning, I just felt all of those emotions, just shame and angst and confusion and just like, ugh, just so sick to my stomach. And like, there was nothing really I could take or drink that would help at that point. And it was like, I need help. I need help. And I, I was so fortunate to have my brother, Nick, with me at that time and I'll never forget what he said. He said, she's like, Steve, man, like, that's it. No more drinking, no more getting high. You gotta make last night the best thing that's ever happened to you. He's like, you just got the smack of God. And you're gonna make this a blessing in disguise. And I get emotional every time I think about it because it was so powerful and liberating. I said, I'm gonna do it, man, I'm gonna make this the best thing that ever happened to me. 
And I did. I truly did. I, I can honestly say that was one of the best nights of my life because it was a turning point in my transformation. Mm, that's powerful. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. So until that point of of seeing yourself and and saying no no to, to drugs for the, perhaps the first time, had you been a religious or spiritual person? Was that part of your upbringing? Or? I went to confirmation class as a kid. I always messed around. I think I was maybe the, me and my one friend, two friends, I think, were the only people in the history of that confirmation school to be held back <laughs> because we goofed around so much. Um, so I went, I didn't really connect to a higher power. I, I believe there was like a higher power out there. I didn't have a relationship with that higher power. I didn't, and I didn't actually understand faith at all. And through recovery, I began to develop a relationship and a connection with the higher power of my, of my understanding. Was, was recovery as as instant as your moments of awareness and needing it? Um, what do you mean by that? Like well, my, my moments in recovery instant? Uh, and yeah. So you're saying like, wow, you just saw yourself. Nope. Not buying these drugs. Give me money. I'm done with this. Don't call me. And it, it was the recovery process that simple. We just like, I'm done. I see. Or, you know, it, or was it, was it was, a rougher ride? It was, so my so I went to a twelve step meeting with one of my friends that same week of the car accident, and I was I was a little high actually. Um, and I felt at home. I felt this really loving presence, and I felt very moved to stop drinking. That was my plan. I was going to stop drinking. Pop's not that bad, so I'll just I'll keep I'll keep doing that. I got home that night and I said, okay, that's it. The gig's up. Everything gone. I'm going to really do this and go for it. And about three days into my sobriety, it was challenging because addiction and alcoholism, the thinking is really can be obsessive. Once a thought enters the mind, it's hard to let go of it. And we'll go to great lengths to, to get whatever we want. And so I remember putting my hand up at a meeting and say, I've, I've been sober three days. I've been sober this long and maybe 10 years and I'm feeling good, but I'm really scared and I need help. Somebody please help. And this, this guy uh, came up to me after and he said, <clears throat> you, you're going to want to start working the, the steps. You're going to want to grab a sponsor and you're going to want to find a home group. And I, I said, okay, will you be my sponsor? And he's like, I'll do it. And so we began meeting once a week for an hour, just reading through the, the content and working the steps. And it was really hard at times, mostly because I had the emotional maturity of, of that kid still. When I went through that breakup, I never really grew from there. So I was picking up where I left off 10 something years prior. And it was, it was challenging. And I actually had a relapse about seven months in. After that, I went through another bottom. And then I just threw myself completely in, totally surrendered and said, whatever you guys suggest, I'm going to do it because I'm desperate and I'm sick of this. I'm, I had it. Just. I want to be free. I want to be happy. I want to live a good life. So whatever it is I got to do, I'll do it. I've heard from, from people in AA that your emotional maturation stops at your first drink 
Right. Mm-hmm. Not, not the first time that, so imagine the age that you first drank, not when you really started consciously trying to drown your feelings, but just that, you know, if it really stopped at that first drink, it's like, man, and more, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 11, I'm 10. I like, I don't you know. Yeah. yeah. Then I would, I'd be a five year old. Five. So you, you finally take care of yourself. You get yourself clean mm-hmm. and sober. And, yep. and how did life unfold after that? Quite miraculously. I, one of my dreams during college was to go to law school and become a lawyer. And that dream had faded as I spiraled downhill. And I was in court <laughs> with my lawyer. And after court, we went to grab some food and we're talking about his job as a lawyer in law school. And, I, and the dream came back. I said, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. I went and signed up for the law school admission test, studied for a little bit of time, took the test, applied to Rutgers, which was in New Jersey, close to where I where I had lived then, and got rejected. So I was bummed by that. And I kept doing what I was doing at that time, which was I was tap dancing professionally. I was a personal trainer. And I was a bartender, actually, in sobriety still. And the next year I applied again and got in and I was really excited and really scared (laughs) because it's like, okay, well, I'm still pretty fresh into recovery. I haven't been a student in a really long time. Reading and writing courses were not by any stretch my strong suit. I was a very slow reader and I had a ton of limiting beliefs about not being smart enough, good enough not being able to read fast enough, not being able to keep up with everyone else, not having the time because I still had to work, not being sober enough, just the list went on and on. And I shared about it with my network in recovery and they said, just just take it one day at a time. That's all you gotta do, one day at a time. Just do your best and God will take care of the rest. And that's what I did. And I began actually listening to motivational speeches first thing in the morning this is when i really learned about the power of cultivating my mindset first thing in the morning and it's why i'm such a big proponent and advocate advocate of cultivating our mindset first thing in the morning all right it's one of the first things i go over with all my clients and i didn't realize what i was doing at the time but what i was doing was creating a whole new belief system in my mind creating a whole new view of myself and what was possible for me in my life. And I, and I went from aiming to just survive law school to like, I want to, I want to go for the top. I want to see if I can graduate number one in the class. And I'm going to go for it for once in my life. I'm going to declare it and I'm going to give it everything I've got. And I showed up, I became so disciplined, so focused and so committed I began showing up like every day, first person in the library. The librarians loved me. <laughs> they had a room re- reserved just for me. And I would, I kept that mindset and that routine for three years. And I graduated first in the class. It was one of the most gratitude filled moments of my life. I just remember just an out of body experience. I went into my car in the parking garage after the graduation ceremony and just weeped with gratitude just could not believe it i'm like wow and i was still pretty um 
uh, secretive about my recovery. So I'm like, man, if these people really knew where I was a few years ago, they would be totally shocked. <laughs> so I, I graduate first in the class and I get an amazing job at one of the best law firms in the world. And I began my career as a, as a corporate attorney, which was just a, a miraculous turnaround. Mm, wow. Yeah, it, 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 it sure is. So before you cultivated consciously the mindset you wanted, did you have one? Was it a negative or was it, was it just, you know, not something you even thought of? Like, could you identify a mindset before that? Probably not. Probably not. I, looking back, I could see what it was. I was very intimidated by the others. I was very scared. I was very like hesitant and I definitely did not have that view of myself as someone who could actually achieve graduating first in the class. Mm. There was no way. There's something Les Brown says that I love, and he says the first thing to being great is believing that we can be great. And it was the first time with conviction, conviction that I believed I could be great. Cool. So until that, yeah, it sounded like it was just uh, the primary belief system or mindset might have just fear of, of everything and just not wanting to be seen. Hmm? Yeah, totally. Fear mm. and wanting to hide. Mm. <laughs> can Can you think of back and and put into words or, or get the emotions of of why did it feel dangerous to be vulnerable in in high school and in college? I think it's because of that perceived pain by exposing as a guy that I'm afraid, that I, I feel insecure, <clears throat> how would that be received? What, how might they perceive me if I actually share vulnerably and authentically? Would they judge me? That equals pain. Would they make fun of me? That equals pain. And so it was that perceived pain of, of how it might be received. It was, it was a, a story, a projection, mm. something I made up totally in my head. Was it something you considered? You're like, well, I wish you could talk to someone, but I can't. Or you just, it, would it not even cross your mind to, to share? Yeah, it just it didn't even cross my mind. Mm. It was like, no way. There's just mm. no way I'm going to tell anyone what's really going on. Yeah, and so I, I was kind of surprised. So you're graduating law school, you're 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 clean, you've you've reached your goal, and you still you're saying people didn't know your your story, your background, where you came from. Yeah. So only only the people in recovery. Huh. So well, obviously, since you're since you're talking to me, <laughs> there, there, <laughs> there became a point that it it did somehow matter to you. You wanted to share that aspect of you. So how how did that come to be? So. Not long into practice, practice of law, I, uh, I was actually pretty unhappy. I realized that I wasn't enjoying my day-to-day. -day. And I was like, shit. It was actually a devastating realization because I had just worked so hard to create this and everything I thought that I would want was there. But something was missing. And so I began to do some soul-searching and, and prioritize fulfillment. And so I came to the realization that I wanted to work with people one-on-one -on -one 
and help them in a meaningful capacity, however that might be. I had this list over a few years that I kept where I would write down moments in my life I felt full of gratitude and love and joy. And in that list, I had moments where I was mentoring law students, helping attorneys who were a class below me, sponsoring people in recovery. And, and I could see clearly there was this one-on-one context where I was helping people in a meaningful way, me. And that pointed me toward coaching. Once I learned about what coaching was, I was like, wow, this is so cool. This could be made like transforming someone's life in a conversation just sounds incredible. And so I started reading books. I started coaching my friends. And I got to a point where I jumped from my position and I totally went for it. And at that time, I had about six years of sobriety. And that was actually when I started to become more comfortable with sharing who I really was and what I had really been through. And it was an unbelievable breakthrough in self-expression for me to be able to share, like, this is me. This is the real me. This is the truth of who I, who I truly am. And so going through that transition was uh, an incredible transformation and breakthrough for me. And, and, and now I get to help people experience that same thing, which is the coolest part about trauma. Awesome. So in, in the clients you work with, are you, do you focus on people dealing with addiction issues or, or, or is it anything or what? Some of my clients, yes, are in recovery and we'll go there from time to time. It's not the primary focus. Mm -hmm. It's relevant though. and, And when it comes up, it comes up and we work through it. What's great is that I get to help people now navigate major life transitions, such as career transitions or anything akin to that, because what happens during transition is is similar for all of us. We go through a really intense emotional process and to have a space to share that is immensely valuable. Beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my mentors has said that, that coaching is the most powerful force on the planet. I would totally concur. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What about that space? What about the coaching relationship is so beneficial? Mm. So much, so much. I will, the first thing that comes up for me is, and what's relevant for our conversation, I think is a space, a safe space without judgment to share what's really going on. When I was going through my transition from lawyer to life coach, it was emotionally intense and turbulent, and I would go from excited and faithful to panicked and fearful. And it was a really up and down, and I'm sure my fiance got so sick of me hearing about it that I just didn't, like, I, I wanted to, uh, somewhere else to share it because I almost felt bad. And so I began working with a coach. And so for my personal experience, to have a space where I could share what's really going on. Like, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm having so much economic insecurity. I'm waking up in the middle of the night looking up part-time jobs. And I don't know if I can do it. Just to be able to do that, just to share what's really going on, was so helpful. It just kind of cut the edge off the intensity of the emotions. And it was, there was no judgment. It was, it was safe. There was trust. I knew whatever, we sh- whatever I said wouldn't leave that space. And then to have someone be like, okay, 
okay, I get it. I know how you feel. I felt that way too. And you know what? We're going to grow through this. And you can do it. And we're going to go through it together. I love that. It was just so valuable. And if I didn't have that, I really don't know if I would have made it successfully as a coach. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm, I've, sometimes I meet coaches that have never been coached or, uh, you know, they, they read a book and decide to call themselves a coach. But yeah, I, I always think it's important to that your lived experience through what you've gone through, again, giving you that coolest part, that that empathy, that being able to connect, and also to experience coaching as a client to really get and experience the, the benefit and, and the safety and the freedom and the lack of judgment. Um, cause if, if you're, if like, if someone is always just coaching and giving and giving and never receives that, that they, they miss out, they, they don't understand the, the complete power dynamics of that relationship. Exactly. Um, I'm with you 100%. And it, I, I really believe like you, that coaching is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. And I believe in it so much that I'm going to hire a coach, of course, to help me through this. I want to have a coach forever. Mm-hmm. I, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the best coaches, the top coaches all have coaches and it's just, right. you look at the, the best athletes, the best, the, the best in everything has coaches. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if you want, if you want a better life, if you want to feel good about yourself, if you want to create uh, better things, bigger things, be more fulfilled, then, um, yeah, get, getting some assistance, <laughs> some guidance, some support of that. It, I mean, it, it, only, it only makes sense. Yes, it does. And it's, there's getting past our ego. Like for, for men, sharing how we feel, we have to get past our ego. And I feel like it's the same exact thing asking for support. Mm-hmm. There's a barrier, barrier of the ego. In recovery, they say two of the hardest things to say are I love you and help. Mm-hmm. And I agree, it's hard sometimes to ask for help and support because of our ego. But the more we can, obviously I'll speak from personal experience, the more I can push my ego aside or work through it, the more I can ask for support and get it. What I actually need to help me create what I really want to create in my life. Yeah, um, for years I've said that the bravest thing you can do sometimes is ask for help. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's it's this freaking illusion and lie that we buy into as men and society keeps telling us that to be brave means I'm alone and I'm charging into the unknown all by myself. And like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a big not, difference. Yeah, if you want to suffer, okay, yeah. go that way. If you want to live an awesome life and be fulfilled and happy and free and have some peace, it's okay. It's okay to share what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, you know, back to the opening of the show and just wanting to yell freedom and oh yeah, you know, Braveheart wasn't one, one guy just alone taking on the world. It was like, he had armies and support and people with him. And you know, it was a whole group of men and you know, so yeah. Um, and you know, to think of in, in all story, in all mythology, even when you think of like the lone hero, like no, they, even that lone hero was never really alone. Had support, yeah. sidekicks, mentors, coaches, if you will, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with a friend before our before today, and he was like, "You know what? I I don't even know what masculinity means. Like, what's the difference between masculinity 
And I'm like, hmm, you know what? It's a, a good question. When you boil, boil it down, it's probably not too much of a distinction. I think, like you said, there's a societal creation of the distinction. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, we're human. We're all yeah. human. Yep. Yeah, that's the big secret behind the show. It's me often reminding men that they're human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's all we're it takes. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> we're, human, we're human, bro. And yeah. it's okay. Permission granted to be yeah. human. Yeah. And, and again, it's not even permission. Like, we're... we're we're given emotions. We, they're, not, they're not in men by mistake. And it's somehow this flaw to our beings is that we have these feelings. Like, no, they freaking, they freaking you know, you, you talk about you, you've gone off through this. You want to be of service. Well, our emotions are meant to serve us. Right? Mm. Feeling good, feeling gratitude, being joyous, that keeps, that's telling you that you're on the right path. You're, you're doing what you're created to do. And shame and fear and regret all serves us because it's telling us we're not on our best path. We're out of alignment with, with our own humanity. Right? Mm, and beautiful. Yeah. And in, and in my experience, you know, if asking yourself at like age 16 or 17, what's masculinity? Oh, it could be, Oh, it's, it's being drunk enough. So I don't feel that's, that's what being a man is. Right. <laughs> and we all, you know, we have these distortions and then I, you know, I, I had the very similar experiences. Um, I was kind of a little different. I, I felt emotions and I felt pain and I would drink so I could relax and, and cry. So I, I, um, I uh, as a teenager, drank to feel, but all, alone and in private and totally hiding. Um, but yeah, I would get drunk to bawl and sob so that I could then go drink in public and seem happy. Wow. Amazing what we do. The lengths will go. Yeah, to 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 hide who we are, to hide our humanity. Yeah, so we can go and then put on that mask of a smile. Yep. We are strange creatures. Yeah, I love what you shared too about emotions being clues to alignment. Yeah, yeah I love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if I mean, I'll make the analogy that that our emotions are our GPS. Like that's what they're for. Mm. You're going in the right direction. No, going in the wrong direction. Left turn, U-turn, like whatever. And again, and then even take that further. This is this. I think I got this from Mike Dooley. Um, like your GPS, that voice is never upset. It's not like, hey, idiot, take a U-turn. It's like so calm. Just, you know, just, just take action. Just take action. No judgment, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if we could, if our inner voice, if our ego was that non-judgmental, just even keeled and polite, you know. Life would be very different. Yeah. Judgment. Oh, my God. A total topic unto itself. One of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and so let's talk about that. So not wanting to share, not wanting to disclose who you were, the, the emotions you felt, the pain you were in, the, the fact that you weren't the mask you were trying to be. Was the fear of judgment your own judgment? Was your own fear of your judging yourself worse than what possibly others could judge you as, or did it really feel like, you know, it was the judgment of other people was, was the damning thing. Mm. Oh my God. What a great question. Hmm. I would say it would be both. Yeah. It, I, I don't know if one was perceived to be more painful than the other, but I can definitely see how self judgment came into play. 
Like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be perfect. Yeah. You can't tell anyone this. Yeah, that, that what I found is my self-judgment was harsher than anybody else's judgment who I feared. That, that, that ended up being like nothing compared to what I was doing to myself. Wow. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, is that the, the fear of others' judgments, it's like it's a made up. It's made up. Yeah. Hasn't even happened. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a projection. Was, yeah. And it's, it's time travel. I was doing that like, oh, I'm going to drive into the future and imagine this horrible scenario happening. So that I come back here and be afraid of doing anything. <laughs> 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 it doesn't help us. Like it's all these horrible tricks and illusions that we um, do unto ourselves. But it's bananas. Um, and, you know, some, this has been said, I, I'm, I don't have an exact quote, but the notion of, like, nobody else is judging you because we're also busy judging ourselves. Right? Like, right. you know, we all think of ourselves way more than anyone else is. <laughs> and it, yeah. and it, it's usually for the worse. But, again, with the proper mindset, with a new belief system, you can think more about you positively. Yeah. yeah. So true. It's so true. The stories we make up. Someone said to me once, we make up so many stories, we might as well make up some great ones. Yeah, right. So I might as well create some stories that someone's like, man, he's so, he's so brave. Yeah. Yeah. Man, he's, he's so authentic. Man, he's so courageous. Rather than, oh my God, I can't believe you share that. He's so weak. He's so this, he's so that. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when you were kind of in your darkest places and not wanting to feel at all, what, was there anyone in, in your family, a circle, were there any... Uh, men that you did see expressing themselves? Hmm. Not that I can recall. Mm-hmm. Not that I can recall. I, I, I always admired my brother's Nick's authenticity. He was someone I looked to and who, who was authentic and could share honestly. Mm-hmm. And I'd always be in awe. Like, wow, how did he do that? <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So my brother, I would say, actually be one person and how did you make that shift from fearing the judgment having the fear to keep because you plenty of people don't drink and still keep it all bottled in right Mm -hmm. so how did you make that transition to i want to be open right because you can even you can even attempt to serve people and still keep your secrets. Yeah, I had just had it, man. I just I just reached my threshold of pain and suffering, and I wanted to really feel happy, joyous, and free. And my one friend would would always ask me, "How free do you want to be? How free do you want to be?" And I would say, "As free as I can be." I'd say, okay, well, you got to then do the work, internal work. And so I began to open up and share how I really felt and got honest with myself first. And then I could be honest with another. Mm -hmm. Were either of those noticeably more difficult? My, so it was, it was definitely an effort to sit down and to think through and do some of the step work and recovery and to get honest about me and who, how I had been and to 
see some things I didn't really want to see. That was tough. My sponsor really held a safe space and I felt totally comfortable sharing with him. And he was awesome at empathizing and made me feel like I wasn't alone and shared with me how, how he had it felt and experienced so many of the same things. To, to go from there to opening up and speaking to rooms of people about it was, was vulnerable and, and scary. And again, a, a breakthrough in self-expression. What are you looking forward to in terms of your freedom and expression? There's just so much freedom and peace. Peace is something I value so much. Peace of mind, peace of heart, to be able to feel safe to be me, as me. Ah, God, there's just so much liberation and peace in that. Mm. And, it, and I've also learned that from peace, we can be really powerful in what we create. So do you have any sense of creations you would like to be responsible for? Just generally speaking. Yeah. What do you want to do? What are you looking forward to? What? what think it back to your friend. How free do you want to be? Yeah, I love it. So freaking free. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so what I want to create in myself is continued growth, continued freedom, Con- continued freedom from fears and worries and doubts and growth in my faith and myself. Uh, so I love to create that in, internally for myself, peace and freedom and joy and gratitude and love. Ah, love all of those things. And in, in my world externally, I would love to continue creating service, serving others in a meaningful way, using everything I've got, all of my God-given gifts, all of my experience, through all of my traumas, through all of my challenges, all of my experience, all of my trainings. I just want to use it all and package it in a way where I can serve and help transform other people's lives, whether it's one-on-one coaching or group coaching, which I share with you, I just launched my first group coaching program last weekend. And um, in a book I'm working on in events, I created an, a co-created an event called the Live Fully Summit. And so I want to continue all of these amazing experiences Tell me more about the, the Live Fully Summit. I love, I love that name. Yeah, ah, Live Fully Summit. So my friend, Chris Jones, who, who uh, I connected with when I was in law school, actually, he owns a fitness facility. Really great guy. Every time we connect, every time I would go to the gym, I knew that if we were, he and I were about to engage in a conversation, I probably wouldn't work out. <laughs> 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 but it was still so worth it. Because he was someone that I could really, you know, I felt like we were on such a similar wavelength and we can relate on so many different levels. And we had deep, amazing conversations. And we stayed in touch, of course, throughout our journeys. And once I shared with him that I started to do events, he, he um, shared with me an interest in co-creating something. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. 
so we created what is, is now called the Live Fully Summit, and we spent about eight months creating it. And we had our first one last September in Morristown, New Jersey, and it was, it was such an amazing experience. One of the guys during the event, toward the end, came up to Chris and I, and he's like, guys, they just had an aha moment. I'm like, what do you mean? What happened? He's like, I got more out of today than my whole life in and out of therapy and counseling. And I was just like, like it, it actually didn't register. I had to, I called him a few days later and was like, Hey, did, were you serious? He's like, yeah. I was like, Oh my God, that's like the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And so that feedback is just such a strong motivator for us to continue creating. And what the event is, or what it was, we're going to evolve it and update it. But what it was is we would, we opened up with presentations. I would deliver a presentation. He would deliver a presentation. I would go and then he would go. And what's cool is I mentioned I'm a, I was a professional tap dancer. And so I, I would bring my tap shoes and just wear them as I present and have my portable tap floor. And anytime I felt like making it thunder, I could just make some, make it happen. I love having that creative ability to do what I love <clears throat> as I'm presenting and sharing valuable information. After our presentations, we did breath work, which I, I noticed you have experience and are into as well. Mm. And oh my God, that was just the space, the energy after the breath work was so powerful, so beautiful. And everyone, you could tell, felt really safe because everyone was sharing right from their heart. And the insights were just, they were life-changing. And then we did uh, declarations, which as another experience unto itself and, and a couple other things. It was a full day, 8 a.m. to 6.30 p.m., full day experience and so fulfilling, so rewarding and so fun. That's cool. So what do you see that turning into? Or is, was that a one-time event? Is it, you're, you're going to revamp it? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to keep it going. We're going to take the feedback we, we've received and evolve it. We're, we actually have a Chris and I are going to talk th this Thursday night about that. Cool. So we, we have a 2020 Live Fully Summit in mind. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it, talking about the, the, the challenge you had in receiving um, the person sharing their big aha with you. Uh, you know, I, my, my first multi-day event was a couple years ago. And a friend of mine who was a participant came up at the end and just said, this is the best event I've ever been to. And I and I, I said fuck you, I'm like I just she like she's like no I mean it I'm like fuck you like I she like you can't take this no I I don't believe you I I like I so I like yeah I'm like all right I guess I but but I know I cannot I can't this that's not getting in yet like I just yeah it was it was just so bizarre but if someone like hey this is great like no it isn't what are you talking about like go, go away <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah I I uh I so funny amazing you said that I had such a similar experience which is what is leading me to write the book that I was telling you about before our recording. I did a presentation about career transition, which is awesome that I get to deliver presentations on career transition now. And after people were like, this was the best presentations we ever had. And I was just like, yeah, right. The inner critics like, okay, they're just whatever. They're just blowing smoke. And then I asked the facilitator, like, how long have you been holding presentations? And they're like every month for the past seven years. I'm like, <laughs> what like, are you serious 
and they really feel this way. This is all true and, and real. <laughs> and it was, it didn't go in at first. It took a couple days to be like, whoa, wait, you know what? Maybe it really was that valuable. Maybe they really did feel it was impactful in their life. Yeah. So I can relate. It's such a similar experience. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, cause again, it's a big deal. Like you could think, Oh, I'm serving. I'm giving them. Yeah. It's going to be great. They're going to love it. And like, Oh wait, they're telling me they are. But like I, for me, it was like, no, I'm still busy pushing stuff out. I can't, don't distract me by telling me something's fantastic. I don't have time for that. <laughs> but, uh, but it's good. You, yeah, that you, it's really important when we're doing any sort of service. Like if you can't, if again, it's great to be conscious that, Oh, I'm not receiving this right now for whatever reason, but then come back to it and, and celebrate it, you know, days later, whatever it takes, like, Hey, uh, that did rock. Wow. And you know, yeah. 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 Celebrate it. That's something I've been working on personally for myself is being able to get to a point where I can acknowledge myself and receive that and to just be like, Hmm, just be with it. Just be with that feedback and acknowledge it and, and receive it. It's something I've been working on. Yeah. Cool. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing to have to work on. Yeah. Of all, of all the things, Oh, I got to do this. Like, Oh yeah. I got to receive um, confirmation of my greatness. <laughs> <laughs> Man, life is tough. <laughs> cool. Hmm. So, an unwillingness to feel really sums like it was at the root of of your trauma of 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 all of all the shit you you went through. What yeah. else happens? What what else happens when when men don't feel or aren't willing to? Well, just thinking about the cost. We don't grow. We don't heal. We miss out on a connection with another human being. We miss out on vitality, well-being, fulfillment, freedom, peace. We miss out on living fully. We miss out. It's such an extreme cost. And for what? To create some bullshit perception? Yeah. The uh, the illusion of safety, but in a life that you're not really living. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Is there a a habit, a practice, uh, or a book or a program that that you would most like to share to to recommend or get out to more people? <laughs> Hmm. habit a habit i have two that come to mind i mentioned them before cultivating our, our mindset first thing in the morning i think is so powerful it helps shape our thinking and that shapes our emotional state our being and that creates our actions and then the results <clears throat> so I, i'm such a huge advocate of creating a morning routine that works best for, for you or for me or for whomever. And it doesn't have to be anything overly complicated. It doesn't have to be like three hours of like reading this and then reading that and then gratitude practice and then journaling and working out. It's, it can be something really simple. Mm -hmm. Like for me, it was sitting in my car, hitting play on a motivational video. That's it. Transform my life. 
that's one habit I would highly encourage others to integrate into their life. Another habit I would integrate or I would recommend integrating is sharing vulnerably, embracing vulnerability. So powerful. A resource to go with that habit I would recommend is The Power of Vulnerability, Brene Brown's audiobook. It's it's amazing. I gift it to all my one-on-one clients right away because I think it is one of the most profound resources ever. I feel like you're going to have a lot of things to answer this with over the rest of your days, but uh, what, what are you proud of right now? What are you proud of? Ah, man, I'm proud of me. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of me for having the courage to go for it. So many people thought I was totally nuts to leave a virtual lifetime guarantee of success and wealth. And I took a leap of faith to pursue what I felt in my heart. And I'm just proud that I did that. So proud that I did that, thinking about my clients and the work we've done and just it's so moving and touching and inspiring. I'm, I'm proud of myself for doing that and for staying the course and for reaching out for help when I needed it. Cool. That's awesome. Hmm. So you mentioned that you work with people individually and you've just started your first group. Yeah. Do you, do you work with people only in person, only remotely or a, a mix or how's that? Right now it's only remotely. All my one-on-one coaching sessions are by phone. I love phone sessions. And you'll notice even when I share and speak and listen, I close my eyes because I can feel like a, such a, a stronger connection there. Mm. I think part of my zone of genius. The group coaching is virtual. So all of my sessions are remote right from this room. This is my coaching room. Cool. Awesome. And what's the, what's the best way for people to, to connect with you to learn more? The best way to connect with me is to either email me. My email address is coach at stevensonato.com. And to spell that S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-A-I-N-A-T-O.com. And in anticipation of this question, I have my Instagram handle. On a shirt. <laughs> that doesn't fit. <laughs> that's, that's a giveaway at future events? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else that you've learned that you want more people to be aware of? I would say a recognition that we are human and an awareness of the role judgment plays in our lives, internally and externally. And when we can operate like the, like the GPS without judgment, we can really experience an exponential growth without unnecessary suffering. Beautiful. Hmm. But that <laughs> there's the uh, the catch twenty two of this all. To not experience unnecessary suffering, yet if there's a coolest part about trauma, right? If there's a gift in our shit, 
is, is there unnecessary suffering? Well, I guess we could, yeah, we could see the gift sooner than we do, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a, such a cool catch 22. Mm. And I'm just thinking of a distinction between like necessary suffering and unnecessary suffering. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, it, for me, it, it's got to be the, the, the length of time. Like, you know, suffering can make us aware of our gifts and our strength, but suffering for years and years because we refuse to recognize our gifts and strength. That's kind of the unnecessary part. So it's like how long we toil um, to me seems like that's where, again, that's where the coach comes in. That's where support and help can just shorten that span, shorten that experience of, of struggle. Mm, yes. I love that. The, yeah, the necessary suffering to help us course correct and provide us clues to know when we're out of alignment. And then, okay, we, we're out of alignment. Time to course correct. Create the shift. Rather than yeah. continue. Right. Hide it. Suffer in silence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, like, I like that. Cool. Cool. Awesome, man. I have... Uh... Really enjoyed this conversation. I I love your story, and you know that's not a story. Your journey, your transformation, right? The the service that you're doing, and man, I feel it's I feel it so strong of of like what's to come. That what your creations and service are just uh, so much bigger than than where you are now, and even even what you're contemplating. Mm. Yeah. So cool. There's a there's some bigness. There's some bigness in your vibe. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. I am receiving that. I am receiving that. I, you gave me chills. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, I hope this, uh, everyone listening got some chills, got some insights, um, hearing your experience. And I have all the, uh, the email and Instagram and your website. That'll all be uh, listed in the show notes at realmenfield.org for anyone that uh, is just listening and driving and can't can't quickly stop and find you on Instagram in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again for joining us today, Stephen. And to everybody listening, wherever you're discovering that real men do feel and that men are actually human, please give us a like, a subscription, a review, share this with other people, uh, spread the good word, and through it all, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.